0: welcome to vibe talk awaken i'm your host vibe queen on the show we will get to know artists entrepreneurs and coaches living life and their truth after experiencing an awakening we'll talk about their journey wisdom and any tools they have learned along their path thank you so much for being here Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Vibe Talk Awaken. I am your host, Vibe Queen, and I'm super excited to have this week's guest, Chelsea. And before uh, we start our conversation, I'm just going to introduce her. She helps seven-figure and CEOs meditate into their God-given psychic abilities to live out their masterpiece legacy and pioneer the sustainable future of new earth. She also creates psychic memorial portraits of past loved ones and helps their survivors speak with them on the other side. Ultimately, Chelsea is here to be a piece of living art and pioneer divine codes of new earth, the farm fresh future of the world, where all people are fed, clothed and sheltered by biodynamic engineering and global governance. (laughs) Wow, it's a mouthful. (laughs) How are you feeling, Chelsea? today is we talked about it a
1: little bit before we came on live there is a palpable emotional kind of almost like solar plexus like stomachy uh, release that's going on today and i felt it in a couple waves the past two days and one of the cool things diving in a little bit to that first part of my bio is when i realized that emotions and body sensations are actually psychic pieces of information they're people places and things that we have encountered, we are encountering, and that we will even meet that we haven't met yet. I pay super attention to what's coming up in my body because it's telling me the information of the thing that my soul wants to move through my body, that wants to be expressed in the people, places, and things that are gonna meet me in that frequency. People have this like intensity and like pity and these different. Reactions to grief, fear, hate, this like deep, whatever we're moving through today, anguish. And there's nothing really to feel sorry for. The heavier the feeling, like the more intensely light the purpose is beneath it. So I'm happy to speak transparently about that and hopefully bring anybody who's listening and both of us here a little bit of a reframe on the shame of having these emotions and how normal this is and how like magical
0: and psychic and dimensional it is too. When you say you feel that emotion or that that feeling, that energy, does that mean you feel that for just your surrounding or is that just your reality or for earth, can you explain how deep that feeling goes? I'm just curious. For all of us humans, emotions are
1: pieces of information. So like you're saying, and I know that you're gonna ask me this question cause we talked about it. At the beginning of my awakening journey and something that we'll talk about what awakening really is from my perspective. But when I was nine years old, I was the first person in my like fourth or fifth grade class to get pimples. I was so embarrassed. And I had this hormonal shift obviously that came with the pimples. And all of a sudden I felt like I was in the third person. I was outside of my life because this frenetic grief and anxiety was coursing through me like nonstop. And I remember thinking, I'm sitting in my classroom at this really vivid moment thinking like, what is it that's going through me? And how come nobody else around me seems to be feeling it? And at the time, of course I had no idea what it was. I really like to be the good girl. I wanted to suppress the feeling so I could just sit quietly in my seat and do what I was told and go through the day quietly like a good child. And I really didn't understand it until much later in my life that those emotions were information not only about my environment, not only about the world at large and the earth, but also about people, places and things I would meet in the future. It's taken me probably because I'm 30 almost to 32 now it's taken me almost 20 years to really understand that amplified emotions like that amplified like I had phantom pain at that time too I had no idea why I would get achy and sore in some areas and have these like really weird pains until later when I realized I was like frequency matching since I was so repressed in my emotions with other people's physical pain. And uh, a lot of times when I would have physical contact or conversation with them, the pain would release. So emotions, body sensations in every wow. single human on the planet, like that is information about your life. And that information is essentially frequency matched to other stuff that you're going to come into contact with. And that's part of your soul's journey. So It's a little bit different than the way we look at. If productivity overrides emotions, then we lose not only the earth we stand on, but our human bodies that are an extension of it. So in the ecosystem of being human, the most human thing about us is emotions because it's the realm between our physical animal bodies and our ascended or like higher self soul that kind
0: of flows through. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So when this happened to you, when you were nine years old, did you have someone to talk to? Were your parents experienced with this? Or what was that experience like for you as a child? I was really lucky because my mom
1: was like my rock. And still to this day is the person that I call. She had a lot of dream traveling experiences. She's very um, clairsentient. So she feels things in her body. And she was the first person to believe me when things were starting to happen that were that expanded and intense and acute. That was the moment that I really knew that she was going to be my greatest ally in this life and introduced me to a lot of different spiritual uh, literature what she told me she's like, listen, when I was young, I had to hide these books I, I couldn't even find them at you know the library I had to, really search for this stuff. And I want to make sure that if this is what's happening to you, being an indigo child or being an empath that you get to read and, and and talk about this openly. So I really got lucky with her because the second part of my awakening that I call the spiritual awakening on September 11th, about 12 hours after the towers came down, I got my first period. So like another bodily hormonal change and I was laying in bed and I rolled over and there was a man who stood six foot tall standing in my doorway, who was darker than the dark. And immediately I was always pretty logical kid and I'm very much a skeptic by nature. So all of the things that I talk about is stuff that I tangibly experienced. And when I looked at this man, I thought, how do I know it's a man? And also how can something be darker than the dark? So my brain was like, I don't understand this. And that was really like the part two of my awakening, not just feeling emotions as forms of information, but then vividly starting to see lots of different dimensions, people who had passed away. I had to call in angels at that point. So I started to create a relationship with the angelic realm to feel safe and protected. I would see really vivid auras and color sparkles around people. And that started my journey of trying to navigate, yeah, when you're sitting in high school and people are walking through walls and you don't want to say that out loud, what are you going to do with all of that information and energy? So it it took some time to get confident saying the things I was experiencing exactly as they were out loud, which is the way that you build your intuition or your natural multidimensional understanding of time, space in the world. So I was lucky that my mom was supportive through that process. I went through a time period of really dealing from when I was nine and still into adulthood. The theme of suicide came up really specifically. And I want to talk about that openly because when you're living in a system that disconnects you from the natural world, it's really difficult when you're a highly sensitive person and you're attuned to the natural blueprint of nature, how we as humans can lock arms to really be part of that ecosystem. And even like the universal ecosystem that Earth is part of, when it has to do with angels, people who have passed away, all these other kinds of consciousnesses that interact with us constantly. So when suicide comes up in people who are having, intense emotions as a byproduct of this awakening, or they're experiencing things beyond their understanding and belief. I believe that those awakening symptoms only happened so intensely because I was not to my parents' wrongdoing. I was put into school where you're sitting at a hard desk for eight hours a day. In elementary school, you get outside time, but think about how little the human experience is the central point of most of the systems that we grow up in. And when it comes to Mm -hmm. social safety Mm -hmm. and like really connecting with other human beings, as a kid, we don't have a way of understanding that we're an individual that can do whatever we want because we're so physically dependent and our bodies know that on the people and the systems that are taking care of us. So, It's really important that anybody listening, if you are going through awakening symptoms, it is a built up lack of expression of emotions, body sensations, and essentially your soul trying to express through your physical human life and not being given the support and the socialization and the ultimate support connection systematically to do that. That's something I feel really strongly about, not to the, like the systems in place, but to say that there is a much better way than industrialization, compartmentalizing emotions, pre-planning all of our time, allowing for the innate human things that make us feel the most like us to be able to come out of our bodies and be valued by society in real time.
0: That's important, I think, in this next phase we're going into from what I can see. How would you recommend if you if it was up to you, we would go about doing that? What do you think is the most important change we would have to implement? Most important thing is that our economy
1: and this is speaking from the American perspective. So I'm so open if people want to reach out to me and have this conversation about other countries or places where this is being done (laughs) differently. But in our American economy, it is profit over um, human experience. And there's no incentive for resources to be distributed and shared among people. and There's actually a lot of people now, and I want to shout out copiosis. It's C-O-P-I-O-S-O. I'm dyslexic, so I'm going to spell it wrong, but look up copiosis if you guys are listening in. There are a lot of people that are reimagining society where people's basic needs are being taken care of, where we're distributing resources like food, shelter, and basic needs to people so that they are then supported and freed up to contribute to society in the way that feels the most like them. Essentially, I want to live on a planet where people feel the most like them. And I'm interacting with people based on that quality, not based on I have to chase money, I have to chase housing, I have to chase a social group based on this survival need that we simulate. And it's we were animals at one point, we've really innovated Almost in opposition to nature, not in concert with nature. And I know that because I came on the planet thinking everything that we're doing is so backwards, that there is a blueprint coming back online that has to do with us not looking at each other in this simulated survival kind of society where we're all separated in our own tiny little households, independent of each other. And the very specific way I see this happening through the visions that I've had in the last eight months is there is going to be five main farms that distribute food to small, creative, like value camps of people. And things like school looking very differently, including telepathic communication with nature and other skills. Kids will also be teaching adults how to play and remember what it's like to really be who they are at the core of their being. And all sorts of other cool things like zero emission, zero sound, coming back to a place where most communication is telepathic because that's our body's natural state of being. We simulate that with the internet and with technology that kind of extends that. You know, oh, I can interconnect to people all across the world. If you've ever spent enough time in your body and thought about someone and then they call the next second or you have an ex come to mind and then all of a sudden they show up texting you. It is because we're constantly making these telepathic connections and everything going on in our body is telling us the message of those things before they even arrive. So on a small scale, I think that Our government and the systems at hand are already disintegrating themselves, and we're coming back to the humanity of the resources for feeding everyone is readily available. We have to incentivize that now, incentivize doing good for the collective of all of us. And natural leaders, of course, will make their way to the front to do more and more good if we're not all struggling to pay for our existence on a base level on the planet. You look around, especially like I'm in uh, Detroit right now and I grew up in the suburbs outside of it and I'm visiting friends and family. During the pandemic, I had some homesickness and felt like I needed to be grounded. And I drive through the city and the parts of the city that are not nice to look at. And every day I think, yeah, we have to do better. We just have to do better for people who are going through all of this stuff, too, with the pandemic and all the systems at hand, like unemployment and things like that. There's no, we're so indebted to, as soon as we're born on the planet, to a few people who control a lot of the the game at the top. And I think that people who have less are enslaved and the people who are at the top are equally enslaved by trying to maintain control and warring with each other over resources. So my thing is, yeah, whether it is universal basic income, to me in the future, it really looks like there is an international barter system and money is pretty much dissolved. It's not used. People look at it like, oh, isn't that like weird that we did that? So weird that we used money. So that feeling was overwhelming in one of my visions. And I thought, that's cool. And like I talked about, Copiosis is one of the groups that reimagines currency as doing good in the world. They created an algorithm essentially that measures how much good you do with each action that you take. And money is non-transferable. So there's no, if I take it from you, then you don't have it anymore. It's really cool. I don't want to take up too much time, but
0: Definitely one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite <laughs> wow. recent conversations. Yeah, I can tell you're very passionate about it. That's quite fantastic. So this ideology that you have, I'm not. I hear a lot of bits and pieces in there that sound familiar to structures that are already existent. And so I don't want to be assumptive. So would you call that a traditional container, putting you on the spot, or is this something that you have just imagined? And is this like an ideal situation? Or if you can enlighten me, I would, I would appreciate that. Absolutely. From what I'm
1: talking about, I'm piecing together in the visions that I'm having of if the future looks like this, how are we getting there? And okay, if the gotcha. future looks like five major farms are distributing food to people all over the planet. And when we're transitioning from money as a form of wealth into something new, Most people that Mm -hmm. own land and have farms hold the majority of wealth. And then I'm looking at these small creative camps of people that are across the globe that are valued. That's why they gather together. And they have small mini farms that they feed from as well as getting that bigger distribution. Essentially, I am meeting the people, especially on Clubhouse, which is where you and I met, that have pieces to the puzzle that I know nothing about particularly Mm -hmm. when words come through that I don't know, like biodynamic engineering, I had to start to research what is that? And it's actually a form of farming that's combining permaculture and astrology essentially, which is, is cool because my experience is that any form of consciousness that exists is something you can have a conversation with, is something that knows what it is and wants to communicate and relate that way. So whether it's a human, a plant, a person who's passed away, an angel, the universe itself, I've tried to have as many conversations with different kinds of consciousnesses that I can. And what I think I'm piecing together through, like when I found the, the Copiosis group and when I found this group called Nangu who are doing restorative food foresting, I'm, okay, these are the things that I've seen. And so now I feel like I'm reverse engineering and putting together the pieces Essentially that my understanding is this is going to culminate in a meeting of the minds that happens probably at the White House or uh, the Capitol building and scientists, psychics, anything that you can think of, any category, artists, engineers, farmers are all going to come together with unique perspectives, ready to collaborate on this much more Sounding utopian, but I think true to our blueprint this future. So I'm preparing myself for that as someone who can see these things just so clearly and am starting to, like you said, gather the different places where people are already with these ideas or with these practices or with these things going on. And how can we, like, put each puzzle piece together? To start to create this fabric in a much more like strong and tenacious way
0: that's mind-blowing i want to delve back into your abilities and what you do when was it in your life that you embraced them and just accepted them as part of who you are and then started that journey of making it your life's work i fought them for a long time so again to anybody who's listening you might go
1: through periods of time where you're really invested in what makes you feel the most like you and this is one of those things for me is my abilities and then you might come out into darker periods where you're not doing those things my big blasting wide open was at nine years old but even before that my dad had asked me to draw a house when we were looking to move into a new house and i had drawn this house with a circle driveway and two pillars leading up to the front door And this split level, you know, house with the garage on the right-hand side. And then less than a year later, we moved into that house. Pretty much an exact um, version of what I had drawn. So I think that the abilities, the person that you are is there all along. It's there from the very beginning. And whatever Uh. people, socialization, world we come into, society we're functioning in, that will shape us maybe away from those things or make those things classically. Anything that feels the most like you is gonna be early in life. You'll experience feelings of intense taboo, shame, just out of body like, I hate that I'm this thing because I'm so different. i worked with thousands of people, but specifically when I worked with empaths to find out what is empath, because I wanted to reverse engineer what I was. Most people have the experience of early in life, I got to be the thing or I did it. And then I came up against some form of traumatic social situation where I felt so alone, separate, where I was going to be cut off from what was normal. And that thing was so painful to be that I pushed it down. So to go back to your question, I had that big reopening of the emotional part when I was nine I had that very vivid experience with someone who had passed away on September 11th when I got my first period. And I gave my first mediumship message when I was 14. So I felt some power there. I was dating someone at the time and I went into, uh, I was going with him to his family's house in Hamtramck, which is a small little city outside of Detroit, like lots of energy there. People who are from this area will know what Hamtramck is. It's just a very vivid place. And... I didn't know anything about the house. I just knew it was his family's house and it wasn't his immediate family's house because I had been there. And we walk up the steps and the only way I can describe it is the house was talking to me and it had this personality that was like this very kind of particular, no nonsense, like very cleanly, woman and she was older and she was I was just like oh it's like the energy that makes you like straighten your back up when you walk into the space you're like okay yeah I look good enough am I good my best behavior <laughs> and so I felt that right away and that was the first moment I turned to him because I trusted him enough at that point he was one of the few people that knew like my secret which was my spirituality and these things that I experienced and I said your house is talking to me. This is what, this is the personality, and this is what she sounds like. And he said, Are you kidding? And I said, No. Wow. And he's, This is my aunt's house, and she passed away here. And that's who she was. That's exactly how she was. That's, you know, what her personality was like. He said, How do you know that? And I said, I didn't. The house just told me, it just talked to me. So that was my first really positive experience. And again, to direct my energy towards the people listening. If anybody's out there and you want to know how to strengthen your intuition, you have to say the crazy stuff out loud in the moment when you're getting it, because that is the intuition and that's how you strengthen. You're essentially on a biological level, creating social safety for you to say and do what is really natural for you, which your body is picking up on this intelligence that came through as a conversation from a house to me. But it was a knowingness that came through me because my body is designed to do that. Everybody is designed to do that. So that was a really exciting time. I used to gather people for Ghost Hunters, which is like my still one of my favorite shows of all time because it was the one TV show where I felt <laughs> these guys are, are really the real deal. They aren't. They are trying to prove that ghosts exist. They are trying to get rid of any possibility that isn't a ghost and then present evidence on what is not explainable and what they interact with and i also loved that they ran towards Mm -hmm. whatever scared them that is to me will always stick with me it's like a life lesson for me to go okay like when you're really aware you can run towards what freaks you out and go what is this so those were really high moments for
0: me interesting
1: yeah and then i went dormant again i had some I continued to always have experiences, especially with people who had passed away, picking up on people's illnesses. I didn't really get a lot of big world event kind of stuff until the, the recent year. But I went to art school. I made a lot of art about those experiences on the other side. started to realize, too, that I loved painting faces. And when I painted someone's face, whether they were alive or dead, I was getting a conversation directly with them and their soul. So I still navigated these abilities, but I was very like not public and super secretive about them. Came out of art school. I uh, Realized that I didn't wanna be an art teacher because I didn't wanna wake up at six in the morning. And also I was mad that art teachers only get paid like $15 an hour. And at that point I was working in the service industry trying to Like my attempt to work in the service industry was I'd always been really introverted and socially awkward. I wanted to learn how to talk to people because I figured I must not really know since people are talking about things like I don't care about or why aren't we talking about something that's like real under the surface? So I realized I could make more money bartending than teaching art or doing something like that. And as I continued in that (laughs) area... I wanted so badly just to get rid of who I was. I wanted to get rid of the intrusive uh-huh. 5 a.m. wake up from the ghost that like would come in and talk to me in the house that I lived in in Hamtramck at that time. I wanted to get rid of the stuff that felt unbelievable to most people and it didn't work. And so I had another kind of like suicidal break. I wasn't doing anything that felt like me and that's why. I wasn't painting or doing my art. I wasn't talking openly about ghosts, archangel, God, grief. Those are my big things that like make me feel the most like me. I definitely wasn't meditating, which I have a particular style of meditation that I teach uh, that really helps me the most. And because I wasn't doing any of the things that felt like me, of course, I felt the only other option, which I didn't know at the time was that I didn't want to exist in this prison that I had put myself in. And I ended up taking a tarot class Mm -hmm. as a last ditch effort and it like blew my world wide open. I was finally with people who were like me talking Mm -hmm. openly about astrology transits and how much they loved animals and all these other surprising things. I thought, wow, I had no idea that people who were spiritual also felt this (laughs) way about earth and about animals and about emotional things. So, navigating that world and coming out of the spiritual closet right around 26 or 27, it is the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. And the stuff that I say out loud now, I would never, ever say when I was younger, except for those little moments where I'm like, "Oh, I'll just be brave right now because I trust this person. But It's still, it's an up and down journey all the time of I'm fully out of the closet. I'm pretty transparent with my psychic experiences on a daily basis. I'm a, like, I think a scientist and a storyteller at heart. So I always want to know how is this, what's the cause and effect? How does this work? So I'm working on being as, as open and honest and taboo as I can every day. If something makes me uncomfortable, it is that thing. I'm going to say it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to see what happens. And my moment today was I was at the gym and I had this moment of grief come over me. A song came on that just when you love someone, every song, there's just certain notes or certain feelings that will come through a sound vibration. And that will be their, the feeling of who they are. And that happened. And I was like, all right, I will be crying openly at the gym for everyone to see. And that's cool. So having the emotions that are really intense out in public, I think is actually like wave two of all of this coming out of the closet kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I agree. Not caring what other people think. I think that's a a beautiful thing. You mentioned tarot. And I have a, a question for you since you're experienced in that. When someone gives a reading or if you do a reading for yourself, Do you feel, in your opinion, that's a definite thing or can it sometimes just be a warning? So, for example, if you pull a card and a person reads that card and they either don't agree with it or they feel like, wow, that's what it is. I'm going to now my intention will be to do the opposite and see it as a warning. Is that what is your opinion on that? Because I've I've heard of that before. And I'm like, huh, that's an interesting perspective. I don't know if that's how tarot works. So I'm just curious to hear your point of view because a lot of spiritual practice are so perspective driven.
1: We can't take the singular perspective that we all have out of this experience. That is what being human is. It is a subjective mm-hmm. experience and a lens through which we look that. Our soul history can come through our bodily experience. So one taboo thing I'll talk about, and I might get flack for this, but it's okay, is I've never had, I've never been sexually assaulted in this life, but I have had vivid, very like embarrassing at the time. I was in an energy healing class and someone passed their hand over my jaw in this energy practice. And all of a sudden my whole body lit up. I felt these metallic things like hammered into my jaw and I felt myself on this metal um, slab where I was being like held down and sexually tortured. And I also have had a recollection of being a child bride. And the dynamic that I have with men has nothing to do with what has happened to me in this life and everything to do with what happened in that particular life. There's a lot of stuff that can come through your body that isn't this life experience But all of what you're going to give as a lens is generally within that soul experience, past lives, or someone actually recently said parallel lives. I'm like, exactly. Because the cool thing about, and I'm going to get back to your question, I promise. The cool thing about understanding what Mm it really is, is that the reason I can read people, the reason I could use a card and aid to do that is because everything in your body is the past present future is happening now so basically all of time every place that your soul ever can go will go wants to be is going to be in some dimension is happening right now in your body so we have these like linear lives but these multi-dimensional containers in which to do this crazy denser life with so when you are doing a reading like a tarot reading Tarot, I loved in the beginning, especially because it organized my intuition and said, now I have a framework because to me, tarot never lies. The information or the archetype is always there, but my lens and my bias is always going to be part of the reading. So am I going to go to someone for a tarot reading that I'm asking about my finances and their financial situation? or the dreams that they have for their finances aren't close to that, no. So when you're making human decisions, you have to remember that whoever's reading you, especially if it's yourself, has the inherent Mm -hmm. lens of bias that comes through their subjective experience, even though that subjective experience is more dimensional than people see, I think. So I'm very careful with tarot as a tool I find that it's very unbiased in its presentation of information, but it might be beyond what we want to feel, what we want to see, or what we can handle in terms of information. So that's my experience. I'm curious about your experience with tarot because I love tarot and use it in the background now as a little bit of a boost.
0: I've only been experienced with tarot for about two years, give or take. And I've just heard a lot of superstition around it. I'm a pretty skeptical person by nature. And before my own awakening journey, I I wasn't really raised religious. And I grew up in the Netherlands. So I, part of our upbringing and culture is you have to study different religions. So I was exposed to a lot of different religions as a child. But because I wasn't raised in a church or with any religion, there was a natural curiosity for me. But I never really subscribed to anything. So it was just oh let's see what how they worship let's see how they worship it was just very I was very curious. And so when it comes to tarot it was the same thing. I was like all right now once I had that awakening journey and naturally you go through that that path and tarot was part of it I was just curious okay how does this you know fit into the spiritual realm and world and anytime I pulled a reading or a card for myself the way it works for me it just either reconfirmed what was already on my mind i use it as a as an affirmation if you will or just guidance but i never made it how can i put it if i pulled something that was negative i just never attached everything to it oh my god the card said this i'm doomed or whatever I just I I use it as a okay I'll consider this but I'm not going to put all my eggs in one basket basically but that's just how my brain works so yeah I hope that makes sense it's like just another tool but I don't believe in counting like taking it literal almost for example as a Christian a devoted Christian may take the Bible word for word literal it's maybe it's a good tool to lead your life by there's some good lessons in there but that doesn't mean I would take everything word for word so. That's how I, I use tarot and look at it. But I've never given anyone a reading or anything like that. I've just used it for myself. And I've gotten a reading like an actual sat down and paid for a reading twice. One was akashic reading, which was very insightful. But yeah, even that, I take it with a grain of salt. I'm always like, I don't know. But it's interesting because for before our interview you pulled a card and you pulled the same card I pulled for myself yesterday and today. And I'm not gonna lie, that really blew me away. That was just I was speechless and you kept talking and my heart was like, how did she, how did that? Okay. Am I dreaming? This is, I'm freaking out. And I don't know if you could tell, cause you kept talking, but inside I was like, okay, this is really weird. Like, how did she, how did she do that? I don't understand how that happened. No, so that was, cool. yeah, you kidding. got me there. That was wild.
1: Yeah. And what you're talking about is why I love tarot, because tarot has its own consciousness, even though someone created it. It's like when we make art, I always felt, especially when I was working with clay, I would just ask it what it wanted to be because I knew that it was a partnership. I knew that I was coming in with the consciousness and the material or the idea that I feel was like coming through me was part of a relationship I was having, with another point of consciousness. And tarot is the same way. I find tarot to be so synchronistic and funny and like sassy and to talk about what you said too is consciousness is a funny thing there isn't really hierarchy in consciousness and how do I describe it because our consciousness as humans has created hierarchy so let's argue both sides of it in a sense Mm -hmm. the consciousness that's that I experience as beyond just our human, you know, existence and like the things we can touch and taste on a basic level is that our extended points of consciousness, there's this grid that we're all on and we're all different points on the grid. And when one point on the grid does something, it inherently affects all other points on the grid. Everything that exists is affected by everything else that exists So for anyone listening who's felt like I have, where on a human level, you don't necessarily feel integrated and recognized in the society we have now or some of the human stuff that's happening here, you are inextricably heard, felt, and known on the grid of consciousness. And that can never be erased or removed, even through death, even through other kinds of transformation. Even if you are totally silent, like a monk sitting in a cave for 20 years, you're still felt. So when our consciousness starts to have these interactions with other parts of the grid, and essentially what we're talking about is, okay, can tarot tell me exactly what is coming next for me? There are infinite that you can imagine potentialities about what you could encounter next in life. Tarot is telling you what, (laughs) what, You essentially, before the moment that you pull that card, what, like you said, is already under the surface. Your body knows what, even if you're about to get a call because someone's going to break up with you, your body actually already feels that and knows that's part of what's coming next. Tarot will tell you that. Tarot is not a <laughs> thing where it predetermines your future because you are doing that with your free will. So I might not, not be able to prevent the person calling to break up with me. But if I know about it, the moment that tarot tells me because it's in my body already and it's coming into my, my, my physical field, then yeah, I might make a different choice about that. Mm -hmm. I might make a different interaction because of that. And I think that's, what's cool about tarot is it gives you the layer beneath, which is generally what your body already knows is, oh, here comes this and this. But now that I'm looking at this, do I want that? Do I want to make a different choice? Or if that is inevitable because I can't really stop the acceleration in that direction yet, what do I want to do about it? And how do I want to treat it? So that's my experience anyway. I love tarot. I think it's one of the best tools in the entire world. I pulled my first tarot card when I was 17 and it freaked me out so much because it felt like so in your face, like accurate, but I did not touch it again for almost 10 years. So... I think it's a powerful thing.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. I really loved your explanation and perspective because it's not predicting the future or changing it. I guess it's just giving you a warning and then you still have the free will to decide. I really like that a lot. Mm -hmm. That's really neat. I think the problem with looking at it as, oh, this is what it is. It takes away the free will. It's, oh, I'm already doomed. I pulled this card. So I can't change it. So I like your perspective It's shifting it to, okay, this is what it is right now, maybe, or this is what's coming. How do I now want to act accordingly? So I really like that you're taking back your power. Yeah, it's, that's really The power neat. never goes away. I love away. that.
1: And that's the important thing to emphasize. Gotcha. To every single person who's ever felt like their power was taken from them physically, mentally, emotionally, sexually, um, spiritually, it never goes away. No one else can ever possess your space on the grid of consciousness. It is part of what we call karma in Mm -hmm. this life, which to me, karma is, I explained this to someone earlier, is you have this, let's say it is a light source and you're this ball of light. You, like me, I'll tell my example of it. I had this recurring dream when I was three years old that I was a very tall man. And of course, I'm like a tiny three-year-old female. I would go to sleep and have this dream where I was this really tall man and I could smell like meadows and grass. And I'd be on top of this gritty castle wall. And then I would fall. And I would always wake up right before I fell to my death. And I always remember feeling so weird because as a three-year-old, I would wake up and be like, why does my body feel so different? Like I'm so much taller than this because I was in the dream. I felt it so visceral. I was this person. I was hmm. this man. And I never really resolved that dream, but I was always deathly afraid of heights. So I'm like, yeah, I know that's what it is. So obviously, theoretically, I said in a past life, I must have fallen off a castle. And that's what the dream was. I taught this meditation technique, which I used to um, teach as an energy healing um, practice. And I taught it to a friend of mine. We were sitting out in the grass one day and she's, I just feel like I should go down by your feet. And so she was actually listening into my body, that part of my body, for information. And she started talking about, and I had never told her this dream. She started talking about this whole scene. She's like, I see just blood around you. I'm like, it's okay. Just talk about the blood. Keep going. I'm always in for like dramatic, intense, taboo. And she's like, I see you falling off the side of a castle. And like, okay, continue. I know what this is. <laughs> and she's someone pushed you. And that moment was like, Holy crap. My karma was that I thought I had fallen and part of my fear of heights, my whole life was, oh, I can't trust my body. I'm so clumsy. I can't be up this high because what if I fall? And at that moment, mm. when she said that to me, it was like, "Oh. I felt responsible for why the person pushed me." It and suddenly I now have a total trust of my body, not that I'm not afraid of heights still, but I had a totally different perspective because I was being reminded of what really happened. So to me, karma is not a punishment system. We live in a self-resolving body that lives in a self-resolving universe. So karma is that trigger moment of trauma, whether it's this life or some other parallel life that we're living right now, trying to remind you, you might've assigned a certain value to yourself that forgot who you were because of this interaction. But now you can remember, hey, you are this whole thing. It's not that you're like terrible in your body. Mm. It's actually that you just felt really responsible because you stole someone's wife and they pushed you off of a castle. So I think that karmic aspect to life is just remem- the remembering, this kind of romantic, I say romantic in like the most tragic kind of way remembering that I am not these conditions and situations I've been in. I am this inherent power that exists and flows like a river underneath all things. That is what the soul is. And karma is the resolving of, oh, I remember that river and I remember it in its whole form. And I act through that in my human body, no matter what it feels like, because That's the world that I want to create here. So when you said getting the power back, it's really important people know. The power never leaves you. You just forget it. And then
0: everything around you is trying to remind you of it and give it back to you. That really resonates. I know we met in in, in a clubhouse room and there's a couple people in there that don't believe in past lives. And I personally do, and I didn't always for the record. And so I guess my question to you is, for people that are listening that maybe don't believe in past lives and something traumatic like this happened in a past life, not in this life, and they can't figure out what's plaguing them and what's keeping them stuck. And it's something that happened in a past life. If they don't subscribe to that or believe that, can, it, like, can they resolve it? Or what's your opinion on that? Because what I'm hearing you say is there can be stuff that Is keeping you stuck that didn't even happen to you here in this lifetime so yeah i would love your opinion
1: (laughs) i say this in the most like loving way that is why everybody gets a different lens on reality subjectively so even if it isn't past lives the way that it's so vivid and exciting for me there is something else in your world if you're an atheist Mm -hmm. who actually are my favorite people to talk to because they have like insane morals most of the time, which you would think maybe the opposite. Mm -hmm. No, Mm -hmm. atheists have these like crazy, like feelings of responsibility to like the very human things about like relationships, communication, doing the right thing, because if you believe this is it then, but everybody is gonna have their own frame for that. People that like mine and think mine is interesting and maybe subscribe to that version of reality that I experience very vividly, which is why I talk about it. If you have any sort of irrational fear, if you have anything that super triggers you that you can't figure out why, go to that feeling, find it in your body and just ask it, what do you want me to know? And something is going to appear in your reality to help you to try to move through that feeling essentially. When we're dealing with pain, illness, uncomfortability, whatever it is, the more intense the emotion or feeling is, or the fear or whatever it is, the more it's trying to resolve, like the faster and the deeper the thing is. So we don't want to like, oh, just release it. Like a lot of people, and I'm not going to be too sassy, but a lot of people in the spiritual community want to release all of their emotions and emotions are information they naturally release when you hang out with them and you're curious and you go, okay, where are you in my body? Okay. What do you want me to know? You're a part of my consciousness. I don't want to push you away or get rid of you. Mm. I want to hang out and see what's up with you and not, Oh, there's something wrong with you, but what are you? Let me be curious about you. And then you're gonna, like I said, even if you're not subscribing to this past life stuff, if you go to this uncomfortable thing, then something like, scary soon is going to show up in your reality and go, okay, hey, like you asked about this. So here is a interaction you can have outside of yourself t- to give you the information that you're looking for. And I'm a big subscriber to that in consciousness, everything happening in the body is really just us trying to resolve back to what we already are, what our frequency is and our ability to harmonize with other frequencies so that we don't take on the frequency of something or someone else and inherently create disease and war and chaos because we're just trying to be the thing that we want to be and we're going about doing it in
0: a weird backwards way. So I hope that answers that. Yeah. It does. And I'm so grateful that you uh, explained it that way because sometimes practical advice can be so helpful. And I think that was very practical advice, regardless if you believe in past lives or not, when you're triggered in the moment or you're angry or whatever, you need something that you can tap into right then and there. And past lives, that just may not either be top of mind or something that can help you. So what you just shared, I think you can actually use in that moment of just getting curious and, oh, I'm triggered. What is that? And almost laughing at it versus reacting. So I really love that you reinforce the word curious I've implemented that and it feels so uncomfortable because your whole (laughs) body's just getting hot and you just Uh want to scream and throw your phone and I'm like oh okay I'm just observing and it's Yeah, that's where I'm at in my journey. So it's been interesting for sure. But we are about to to hit the hour soon, but I do wanted to, I wanted to ask you a couple more things, but you were about to say something. Go ahead. I just wanted to
1: address what you said. Sometimes you should throw your phone. Sometimes you should. We're animals that actually need to act out (laughs) these emotions. So let's normalize that right here, right now, that part one is (laughs) in yourself and being with it and being curious about it. Part two is finding physical expression for that thing that is also socially accepted and connected with. So it is so essential right now that we not only investigate ourselves and find what makes us feel the most like us, which is my favorite question to ask myself in any moment, what feels the most like me to do right now? Because it takes off the boundaries that I've been conditioned with and it goes, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm just going to do this Maybe it's crazy. Maybe I have no idea what it's going to mean. It's the same thing I did when I walked up to that house in Hamtramck when I was 14. I just decided I was going to do it out loud with another human. We will never be able to erase that we are a herd species and we need other people. So any work we're doing internally has to lead to more physical expression of the spiritual, of the emotional, of the whatever. In social situations where we're safe to do that, we're safe to explore that, and we get the support and the connection that we need, that's how trauma gets healed instantly, is we take the thing we couldn't do or say or be Mm. in front of someone early in life, and we do and say and be that in front of people who are like, you're cool, or thanks for that, or I don't feel bad for you, I'm just really present with you. So. Back to your questions and stuff. I just feel like that's so important for people to know you cannot, you have to lead with your stuff, but you cannot take out the equation of you need other humans. I tried to do that for so long and it really is helpful to know biologically, I can't just connect with animals and plants in the earth. I need other humans and I need to do all this taboo shit in front of them
0: to feel like me on I love that I love everything you just said I'm just like soaking it in uh, for me my outlet is boxing so that's like my physical outlet but I think that's the reason why clubhouse is so addictive <laughs> especially with the spiritual community because we are able to do things like just hold space and just be quiet or meditate together there's no distraction of visuals there's just our voice our energy and it's so beautiful so I want to ask you if you could describe what a spiritual awakening is, in under, I'm going to give you a minute, I'm going to give you one minute to describe what a spiritual awakening is for somebody who thinks they're experiencing a spiritual awakening, but they're not sure. So just to honor the room, signs and symptoms, how would you convey that to someone and go? Okay. <laughs> hey, spiritual awakening, as I experienced it, <laughs> no pressure, first was really
1: intense emotions and quote unquote, unexplainable body sensations and things going on. So if you are feeling anxiety, depression, and then you're looking at your life going, what is creating this? Nothing is chaotic. Everything is fine. All of a sudden I feel these different things and I don't know why. That is number one, your empathic awakening. It's all the thoughts, feelings, and emotions that wanted to be expressed physically through you because that's what your soul wanted you to be doing in the body. (laughs) It is those things coming to a head and going all right we're doing this so that's my best ex- explanation of spiritual awakening it's going to start with your emotions first and you're going to feel insane and you're not insane
0: i love it <laughs> and that is time perfect starts with your emotions are you are going to feel like you're insane but you're not insane that's your quote But that's going to be part of your quote. Perfect. I love that because that is exactly how I felt for sure. So I appreciate you so much. One other question I ask every single guest, and it has helped me tremendously. I've implemented from so many people is what does your morning look like? Do you have a ritual or a routine? How do you start your day to get into the flow? One thing I really emphasize to people is doing the
1: day the way it feels the most like you. My day is, of course, so taboo compared to how I was raised. I do not do shit. I do not do anything before 3 to 5 p.m. That feels like work. I feel like I'm landing a spaceship right when I wake up because I have really vivid dreams that I know to be visiting other realms, playing out fun scenarios and consciousness that I don't feel like I can do physically because they're really taboo, all sorts of other things. So when I come out of sleep, I am like landing the spaceship for at least an hour and I pet my cat. I try to get in the sun. I don't really have words yet. I really like to get my feet outside if I can too. Even in the winter, I go a little bit crazy and I go barefoot on the snow. And I think it's important. I don't have a routine because what feels the most like me changes regularly, though I know from experimenting over the years I don't put anything real, uh, that feels like work until after three or 5 PM. Cause that feels like freedom to me. So I don't subscribe to doing things ritualistically. I think that your body always knows what it wants and it knows how it wants it. And if you allow your time to be unhinged enough that you get to follow that. That's a exa- exactly the world that I want to live in. I'm getting a little tongue-tied because I feel very strongly about that. The over-mentally planning, projecting our realities out into the future through our schedules and the calendar and things like that is going to become obsolete because what our bodies know to be true is something we ignore when we do that. And we really need to honor like this thing has a, it's a living brain membrane. The whole thing is it can do better than our brains at um, feeling and predicting uh, what comes next, what's needed. So that's how I try to live.
0: Very interesting. It's very interesting. I'm just, as I'm listening to you, I'm reflecting on my own day and what I've been doing and what life has been looking like. And I can really understand your point of view now of take away the stress of survival, having to live paycheck to paycheck, putting food on the table. If that's taken care of, then people can live that way. But you can't really live that way when you're worried about how am I going to feed my family? The rent is due. I have to get to work, but I want to, but I want to just meditate and I'm going through an awakening, but I need to get to work on time or I'm going to get written up and then I'm going to get fired. I'm going to be evicted and homeless. So there's all these other things that happen that make that very difficult. So I totally I can understand your point of view much from a different perspective because me personally, I'm, I'm very much, especially even before my awakening, I've always had this hustle mentality and I'm an entrepreneur and I want to start a business and I want to help people, but I have this business idea and that, but I, I totally get your point of view as well. So it's just, it's very interesting uh, hearing your perspective and yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens in in the future. The utopia sounds beautiful, but we'll see. One last question I have for you, but before I do, I always like to give uh, the floor to my guests so they can talk about whatever it is they have going on, whatever it is that they want to promote. So the floor is yours. How can people get in touch with you and how can they best support your work and your drawings and, and what you do? Awesome. Thank you for the opportunity, not only to have this
1: conversation, but to do a little bit of the back and forth because as much as I can talk my face off, it's really nice to hear your perspective because you're gathering so many perspectives on the podcast. I just want to shout you out for a second and let people know that in the room that you created on clubhouse, that's gone viral and it's repeating over many days. And even in the beautiful images that you put out on stories every day the things that you're doing on a regular basis are just really felt on that grid of consciousness, and so I want to shout you out and give you some appreciation for that, especially this podcast. So thank you. Best ways. <laughs> you're so welcome. thank you. Best ways to get in touch with me. You can find me on social media, Chelsea M. Schultz, S C H U L T C. And my website is Chelsea MacLeod Schultz at Gmail. That's my, I'm going into unconscious now because we <laughs> talked about so many deep things. Yeah, contact me on my website, Chelsea Mac- Schultz, Schultz.com. And my email is the same. And what I'm really excited about right now, I'm doing three different things. So I have an offering called Love Never Dies, the psychic portrait experience. It is my way of helping people get in touch with the people who have passed away that they love. So as part of that process, you get a legacy portrait of the person that you really care about. Uh, I give messages from my conversation with that person that happened while they talk to me and I paint. Wow. And then we go into uh, a series of meditative experiences for you. If you've lost the person so that you can have a direct point of contact with that person who's passed away, which I think is really important. Not only having this piece of art and these messages, but having your direct re-experiencing of that person you care for. So that's one. And then my bigger project is when the world's leaders do see their emotions as psychic information about their life, that's the kind of world that I want to live in. Cause I know and I've seen in my work with people who are in leadership roles how many people in their companies, in their families, in their generational lines that affects. So I work with a particular kind of meditation with CEOs and we also get them back into their legacy of being a very artistic, playful, childlike innovator for the sustainable future of new earth. Very excited about that. I usually only take one space for that, one to two spaces for that a year so i have one left and then my last thing is my bigger overarching project which is divine codes of new earth and that's all the stuff that we talked about today that i channeled from the next 40 years of the future and the way that things look like they're going and will uh, develop into so that's that farm fresh future of humanity where everyone is fed clothed and provided for on a basic level So that we can all live this very dimensionally expressive, true human existence on this planet in concert with nature and other universal energies. So that is in the process of being published as a manifesto. And that will be something accessible to any and all people. So that, like I said, is a big behind the scenes kind of thing where I'm connecting the dots with other like minded people who are imagining or already practicing this kind of future. So, if you're one of those people and that sounded familiar to you, some of the things I said, then please reach out to me and I'm starting to create this network of really cool people that are actually doing the thing. So, that's I think
0: all all <laughs> of it. Yeah. <laughs> Last but not least, what would be your words of wisdom that have carried you along your path thus far that you would want to leave our audience with before we sign off?
1: Do everything the way that it feels the most like you and know that you can never be unfelt on the grid of consciousness. I talked about those two things already, but those things lead my life every single day. Despite your loneliness, despite your fear, despite your overwhelming legacy or responsibility or the other things you feel, you're never separate from the whole of humanity or the universe. And your ultimate reconnection with the things that feel the most like you will help you feel that. So again, thank you for having
0: me. This is so awesome. Amazing. I appreciate you. Thank you. And I definitely would love to have a part two in the future because there's so many other things I want to touch on. So thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much for listening. I would love to hear your feedback and thoughts on the show as well as any topics you would like for me to cover on solo episodes. Please just book a time with me using calendly.com slash vibe let's vibe and we can hop on a phone call. I can get to know you and connect directly. I look forward to hearing from you and until next time.